the Undisputed Era team of Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong have lost the titles. Do we sort of go back to seeing Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish be the team to represent them as they were prior to Bobby Fish's injury? I don't know if we'll see that. Uh, on a personal level, uh, my entire household, uh, we all know Todd. I consider Todd a friend. Uh, we marked out for this. We all popped huge when they they went over, partially because I didn't necessarily expect them to win in the first go-round. I thought it would be sort of maybe down the road. But uh, when they hit that leg drop uh, off the shoulders of Roe into that pin, it's just a pandemonium in our house as well as in the arena. And I personally, I sent them a message, but I personally, if you're not know, these listening, but I do want to congratulate Todd. Uh, what an amazing moment for that guy. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, And one thing I, I had picked up on this match, and it tends to be the case of the openers of TakeOver, is this match, the pace of this match was so hard-hitting, so fast-paced, so chaotic, if you will. Um, and I really think that brought the, cr- the crowd was with them every step of the way. Uh, one thing I will say, and the, one of the reasons I, I premise that I, I feel like Strong and O'Reilly is such a good team is that um, Bobby Fish is is an entity onto his own. You know, whether it's promos or his in ring work, he he's top notch, and I think he can be a single star. Now it will be interesting to see what they do with the undisputed era, but for now, I definitely want to say that um, you know the War Machine have come up as the tag team to watch in NXT. They're mo- they're the most exciting right now, so it's great to see them get the titles. Well, it's funny because if you recall. About a year and a half ago, on this very rundown feed, I, I was talking, and, and uh, Roddy was sort of struggling as sort of a mid carder. He had a little bit of, little bit of a run, I think. Was it with uh, Almas? Mm-hmm. Uh, had a couple title shots or whatever, um, but didn't really have any character development. I was when I kept harping on this. Just let this guy be a heel. He is so much better as a smarmy chicken shit heel. And I think that really has developed him since he's joined Undisputed Era. I think he's really just taken off, so good on him. So we go from perhaps, depending on your opinion, the best match on the card, to a match that wasn't quite the best match uh, we've seen at TakeOvers. Uh, As the original bro, Matt Riddle, takes on Cassius Ono. Now, Matt Riddle's like 20-something years old. How the fuck is he the original bro? Wouldn't like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't like the dude be the original bro or something like why the fuck did we have to get rid of king of bros that one fit it made sense it was logical the uh, if you're 20 fucking years old you cannot be the original bro there have been plenty of bros before you that that is a fair point i guess he wouldn't even be the original bro in wwe because they've had uh they've had a lot of people that may have tossed around the word bro here and there that's fine. You know, Matt Riddle, I, I got to say, one thing about this match in, in general with Matt Riddle and NXT, he's got star written all over him, oh, yeah. regardless of who he faces, man. I mean, this match was what it was, and, you know, Cash is Ono sporting his Phoenix Suns attire this time around, but Matt Riddle looks like he belongs on the main roster. He's got that, that X factor that I think a lot of people look for. Now, and it's important to note here, I don't think this was a bad match by any means. I thought this was a good match. I thought the guys worked hard. I thought they had some spots in here that really stood out. Um, It's just on the scope of what was on the rest of this card, it was going to be very, very hard for these guys to match up to that. Um, Particularly, there were a few spots that stood out, particularly the fact that at one point, Cassius Ono went full-on foot fetish and bit the toes of Matt Riddle. Uh, that was a really nice touch when you get a guy out there who is um, barefoot. But I got to ask, I mean, the guys now walked down to the ring and walked around the ring apron. There were sweaty guys in the ring from the match before. Like, I don't know that I'd want to put his feet in my mouth at that point. So <laughs> that's the spot that stuck out for me in this match. I mean, the other the other spot is I don't particularly like Matt Riddle's finish. I don't I, I get it's a legit the bro mission. Uh, yeah, I get it's a legit submission from from mixed martial arts, but I think it's a aesthetically it doesn't really do much if you're the the casual fan or the WWE universe. It just looks like he's it's a side joke. Um, whereas uh, I give credit for this for Ono for him putting uh, Matt Riddle's foot in his mouth and biting down. It was uh, a visual you wouldn't forget 
too quickly, but I I don't know. It was kind of kind of disgusting in my opinion. Yeah, it was it was pretty nasty. Um, and you mentioned Matt Riddle's finish, and, and the thing here is that he didn't use the bro mission to secure this victory. Instead, he basically got on top of Ono and just started wailing on him with punches and elbows to the point where Ono just had to tap out because he was too beaten down. I sort of I've seen some people who who didn't like this finish. I loved this finish. Um, as a fan of MMA myself, it, it sort of rang true to me. I think it played really well to Matt Riddle's personality, um, and I liked that it was different. It was something we haven't really seen before. A guy just saying, "Listen, I can't continue. You've beaten me too badly. You've broken me." Um, and I thought that was a really really cool touch that I, I hope they do more of with Matt Riddle. You know what's weird to me uh, for a guy who who you know grew up around this scene and and you're the same way you know what Chris Hero can do in this business or at least what he used to be able to do so um I, I think his role is fitting given his age and 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 what he does in NXT currently but it's it's crazy to think that he was in NXT six years ago and he could have been putting on. You know, thirty-minute classics with with any guy they picked out of their system, but instead he just kind of uh, was kind of wasted, and now he's been relegated to putting other guys over. Well, it's funny because NX, there are a lot of guys who will tell you that they get opportunities and they don't really realize what they have until it's too late. And a prime example of that is a guy like Tommaso Ciampa, who was down there in development. That's true. That's got true. himself fired because he didn't do the right things, and he'll tell you that right now. Um, so now that he's down there, he's not taking any chances. He's not making mistakes. He's not wasting the opportunity. He's making the absolute most of this opportunity. And we're going to talk about him just a little bit later. Uh, so yeah, Riddle wins with the knockout, basically the knockout, the tap out, um, in what was a solid, if not unspectacular match. Uh, I'm interested to see where we go now with Matt Riddle because I'm looking up and down this roster and I'm not sure where his next program comes from. Um, but, you know, it's, it's something to certainly to watch for. Sal, if you had your, if you had your pick, who would you put Matt, match match up Matt Riddle with going forward? Uh, I love Matt Riddle's hard hitting style. Obviously, his MMA background is going to play heavy into any uh, feud he has going forward. I would love to see Matt Riddle if, if they're going to branch everybody off against a guy like Bobby Fish. I think that could be a huge program. If not somebody like that, then you have to start looking at. Um, you know, maybe, uh, it's so hard to say, because you're trying to find somebody that fits up even size-wise with Ono, and there's not too many guys in NXT right now that do that. I mean, you could always go Adam Cole, but I feel like Adam Cole's already kind of taken up by somebody else going forward into TakeOver WrestleMania, so we'll have to see about that. Well, uh, I will say that there is a certain individual in the next match that we're going to talk about who I think would be a great dance partner for Matt Riddle uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future. So that brings us to our next match, the NXT North American Championship on the line as Ricochet defends against Johnny Takeover, Johnny Gargano. Um, a lot of people going into every takeover sort of wonder which, which sort of superhero-inspired gear Gargano will come up with, and got to give him credit. He's always creative with this one. This one wasn't readily apparent. I saw a lot of people say, oh, he's going Iron Man on this one, and I could see where you would think that. Uh, not Iron Man, in fact. Dark Phoenix is the character ah, okay. that he was going after, which is sort of apropos if you know anything about Dark Phoenix. And I read up on this. I'm not a comic book guy myself, but I did read up mm. on the character. Uh, basically, the character started as a as a good guy, uh, turned to the dark side, and realized how much more powerful she was on the dark side of things. Mm-hmm. Eventually, turned back good with the powers she discovered as an evildoer, and became the most powerful in the universe. So, I don't want to say Gargano's tell- foretelling of his story, but it is <laughs> certainly an interesting choice and pretty cool gear, as it were. Um, Right. Real quick, speaking yeah. on gear, uh, real credit to Gargano for that for that deep cut because I, I think a lot of these guys do a great job of doing that when it comes to takeover or when it comes to a pay per view where they, you know, their their gear is inspired by either a comic book hero or a movie uh, uh, persona. But it's such a great job that these guys do. Honestly, credit to them and the WWE staff for that. 
Yep, and speaking of comic book character-inspired gear, uh, if you were not aware, Ricochet's gear, also comic book-inspired. Uh, if you haven't seen the Spider-Man movie Into the Spider-Verse, you, you may not have caught it, but it is based on the new Spider-Man outfit that is in there. I believe the character's name is Miles. I forget his last name. Uh, mm-hmm. Who plays the new Spider-Man in that animated film. That is what Ricochet's gear was based off of, and that was pretty fucking cool, too. Um so now, on, enough about dudes' uh, outfits. Now we will go on to the match, and what a fucking match this was. Uh, Johnny Takeover is not a gimmick. It's fucking real, <laughs> folks. It is very fucking real. It has uh, been for like two years, right? Like... This guy simply steals the show every time out. And tonight, on, well, not tonight, but on, at TakeOver, he had perhaps the best dance partner he could have had for that attempt. Because if you want to steal a show, you get in there with Ricochet or you get in there with Gargano, and your odds are pretty good. You're going to be the one people are talking about at the end of the night. No difference here. These guys just, I, honestly, again, you can go through spot after spot after spot. It was all fantastic. There was one where uh, Ricochet from the apron, full-on sprint up the turnbuckles to do a moonsault to the floor. I mean, like, didn't even look. Just trusted Gargano was there. Fucking nailed it. Just beautiful stuff. As always, picture perfect from Ricochet. I, I don't get how Triple H does it or how the competitors in NXT do it. I watched the tag match, and I was like, oh, my God, they stole the show. And then we got to this match. And I, at the end of the match, I was just like, this, this is what I want my wrestling to be. Because it was fucking so epic. Even to the little details at the very end where Gargano, you know, mouths the phrase, I win, yeah. before delivering the uh, the springboard spike DDT. It was so fucking great. And I was happy. It's weird, given Gargano's character. But I was thrilled to see Gargano win this championship. No knock on Ricochet. I just thought it was fucking the perfect time for the perfect story to be told. Well, we hadn't actually got to the finish yet, but since Sal decided to spoil it for everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, at one point, Gargano, in, in sort of a shade and a throwback to his feud with Tommaso Ciampa, which, is, again, is an interesting sort of way they weaved sort of bits and pieces of that storyline into this match beautifully, I thought. Uh, he pulls up the mats at ringside. Uh, there's a little bit of a dance around who's going to do what to them. Finally, it settles out with Gargano hitting a brain buster on the fucking exposed concrete. Just an unreal uh, attempt and, and risk taken by Ricochet on that one. Uh, he's thrown back into the ring on Gargano. As you said, Sal says, I win as he executes a springboard DDT and just fucking spikes Ricochet in for the one, two, three, and your new North American champion, Johnny Takeover, Johnny Gargano, and not even the end of Johnny Gargano's amazing weekend, and we'll talk about that tomorrow night. Um, But yeah, it's hard to sit here in January and say we've seen a match of the year candidate, but if you had told me in January of last year when I saw Johnny Gargano and Andrade Cien Almas and said that that would be the match of the year. If you go back to our year-end awards, that was, in fact, my match of the year. And sitting here watching this one, and I've watched it twice now, i got to say it's the leader in the clubhouse, at least for for now. Jason, i got to ask you, because, I mean, you've watched NXT as long as I have at this point. And when you go back to Gargano and Almas, when you go back to Gargano and Champa throughout 2018, I mean, there's a common denominator here. I mean, this guy is fucking fantastic and and i'll be the first one to admit i had questions about his character direction it, it kind of bothered me that after the ultimate baby face he was just kind of gave up and turned heel but i feel like what they've evolved the character to is actually on point going into wrestlemania this is the strongest johnny gargano's ever looked well and if you if you consider TakeOver Brooklyn or the, the SummerSlam TakeOver to be sort of the NXT WrestleMania, mm-hmm. their biggest event of the year, that what everything sort of builds to, I would fully expect that to be the point where Gargano has turned again on Ciampa. He's now the babyface, and that to be like the crowning moment of Gargano finally disposing of Ciampa, finally getting his hands on the big prize in NXT. Uh, but this is a very interesting roadblock, and as we speak, they are currently doing 
the next round of tapings at full sale. So we'll probably have a much better picture of where we're going for our next takeover uh, after that in New York for WrestleMania weekend, which isn't that far away. These takeovers are starting to gen blend very close together. Uh, but yeah, I, Gargano is a common denominator in a lot of these great matches, but I could sit here and tell you Ricochet and Adam Cole was a show stealer too. Um, as well as Adam Cole versus Aleister Black in that street fight. I mean, those were all contenders for match of the year for me last year. So uh, I think it's, and, and I talk about it with Kenny Omega a lot too, I think it's a byproduct of sort of giving these guys a little bit of creative freedom to go out and, and book their matches how they want to book them and giving them just time and good, compelling stories. And I think that's what's missing from the NXT roster. I'm sorry, the main roster, because... Right. These stories, these feuds, and these things, they have time to breathe in NXT. They're not pushed down your throat every single week. We don't have to come up with stupid bullshit to advance it. We can just do a simple highlight package, and they don't touch until these takeovers. We never saw Johnny Gargano in a tag team match against Ricochet. Mm -hmm. It was the first time these guys were in the ring in a competitive situation together was at TakeOver. They saved the moment, and that is too often what we don't get in the main roster. See, what's crazy to me is what Triple H is doing when he books NXT is not anything that's reinventing the wheel. I mean, me and you have both watched wrestling for enough years to know that this is very simple and very old school. Mm-hmm. But it fucking works. Yeah. And, and, and as far as Ricochet, my only thing with Ricochet is, is he too talented for NXT? I mean, this is a guy who's in the prime of his career who really should be on Raw or SmackDown. And I granted, God knows how they would use him, but uh, well, and that's sort of my question: uh, is he is he better served in NXT than he would be on the main roster? Because I, on the main it's roster, a possibility. I have serious concerns that he's going to be two hundred five live bound if they call him up at this point. Uh, Vince will simply look at flippy shit and not look at the potential. Um, we look at Finn Balor. What's gone on with him in the main roster? And, yeah. and to their defense, it looks like perhaps we're correcting that now, but it took a long time to get there. We still don't see this, the thing that really makes Finn even more special, the demon. They still refuse to do that for big fights anymore. Um, so if you're Ricochet, you can. And let's also keep in mind that NXT is becoming legitimately a third brand. This Absolutely. is touring. Absolutely. They're, they're becoming, they're, they're running bigger arenas on the regular now. Um, so there, there's going to be, and if the rumors are true and there is some plan eventually to move them to like FS1 on network broadcast television Mm -hmm. with all the money that's coming into WWE, there can be money to be made. There can be guys that can just be NXT. Uh, they put a, they put a title on Johnny. I don't think Johnny's going anywhere anytime soon. He's going to be the face of NXT. I think Ciampa, and there's a great line we can talk about at the end of Ciampa's match, but, uh, we'll get to his match later, but there was a great line at the end where, Moro said, Tommaso has said when he's done, he doesn't want kids to dream of a WrestleMania moment. He wants them to dream of a takeover moment. Absolutely. Uh, And I thought that was a great line, and that's 100% true because that's what NXT is and should be building towards. You know, you you can go back to Finn Balor when he was in NXT. You can go back to Shinsuke Nakamura. I think that there is an idea, and like you said, it's a touring brand. And I'm glad I'm on the show because I never get to talk about this. But... Mm -hmm. um, where NXT is its own brand with its own stars, which means that guys aren't going to, you know, I think the formula first was you win the title, you you move up. You win the title, and move up. And I think that's not the case anymore. I think you're going to see people like Champa and Black stick around. Right. And it, 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 it does make a challenge for Triple H because it's easy to, kept get, to keep guys fresh when he's just keep pulling in new guys and just moving them up to the main event pitcher. But... You know, now he's going to have a challenge with Black and with Adam Cole and with the Undisputed Era of keeping them fresh. And I think he'll be up to the task because Triple H is a guy, booking-wise, who has his finger on the pulse. See, I, I think of everybody we're talking about, I think Aleister Black is the most likely to be the next guy to be called up. But we'll talk about that later on. Let's go on now because we, we've been we've been on Johnny and Ricochet for a long time, and we could probably sit here and talk about that match all night. But let's talk about the NXT Women's Championship as Shayna Baszler defended that belt against the undefeated Bianca Belair. Um, I was skeptical of this fight go of this match going in partially because I'm not a huge Bianca fan. I think there's a lot of potential there. I just certainly think she's not quite cooked all the way, if you know what I mean. Um, 
still a little soft and, and you know, not 100% ready to be that takeover level competitor for Shayna. But there is sort of a rebuilding process going on in this women's division. And unless you went Kyrie again, you're sort of limited as to who you could have gone with. I've made it, I, I could have probably picked a better opponent than Bianca for this. But the crowd is into Bianca, so that you can't deny that. Uh, her entrance, people were over for her. Um, the match was not bad by any stretch of the imagination. They had a little th- a weird moment with Sam Roberts on the kickoff show where he basically said she didn't deserve this match, and it was sort of a letdown that she was the one in this match. Um, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit on when we talk about this week's episode. Um, but uh, all, all things considered, I thought Bianca made a very good showing for herself. Uh, there was one point, the of course, the horsewomen got involved, and Marina Shafir apparently channeling her inner Batgirl. I don't know which, <laughs> why she's wearing a mask, but whatever works for her. Um, they came down at one point. Uh, the Kirafuda clutch was locked on. Bianca broke it. That's when the horsewomen came down. Uh, Baszler recovered while Bianca fought them off. Bianca ended up going to the top, went for a 450, missed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bianca got caught in the Kirafuda clutch again and started to get up again. And that, I'll tell you what, that, this is where I had a, had sort of a, a little bit of a feeling for Bianca. Um, when she started to get up that second time, now she got up and broke it the first time. When she started to get up, the, second, the reaction the fucking crowd gave her told you a lot about how they feel about this character. Mm-hmm. She is a full-on babyface now. There is no doubt about it. Um, and then she fell. But she didn't stop fighting. She tried to get up again, and she just couldn't do it, and finally passed out. Um, she is all when she proved that she is not only the strongest, the fastest, but also the sleepiest in NXT because she went to sleep. Back almost a year ago at this point, you had done me the honor of joining me on WrestleMania Salvation for WrestleMania Eight. And we at that point had discussed that the card, although not filled with great matches on paper, uh, actually delivered in the fact that everything looked like a fight. Mm-hmm. And to that point, going into this takeover, full disclosure, I thought this was going to be the worst match of the night. And right. you know what? By proxy, it might have been based on the other matches we saw. But Bianca Belair in this match... Uh, did more than what I thought she was ever going to do. Um, in a match that I was sure to disappoint, it actually didn't. And Bianca looked pretty good. You know, it, it's so difficult because, like you said, they're in a rebuilding phase when you think of the the heydays of Sasha and Bailey right. to where they are now. And I'm not really the, big of, the biggest fan in the world of Shayna as far as her on-screen persona. I said that she's come so far. In a like, in ring, time. absolutely. But, like... Uh, I love the persona. Mind. The bully persona, the cocky, I don't give a fuck about you attitude. I think I think she's fantastic as a character. See, here's the problem with Shayna's uh, bully persona. She looks like she can be a bully, and then she talks like she's James Ellsworth. <laughs> like, she just has no venom behind her promos. It, it, it all sounds very... To me, but uh, you know what though, Sal does does Conor McGregor really sound like a badass when he's talking? Does Donald does Donald Cowboy Cerrone sound like a badass when he's talking? The biggest badasses in the world don't need to try to puff up and sound like a badass. They just they just just do it. They have have the aura of a badass, and Shayna Shayna has that aura. And that being said, on the other side of the of the ring, I thought Bianca was too green for this spot because I think she's got a lot of athleticism. But this match to me was her coming out party because she hasn't shown me this level of storytelling up to this point. And like you said, her breaking out of the Carafuda clutch and then her eventually succumbing to it, I thought told a great story. And I thought these two put on a match. Much better than I just than I thought I was going to get from these two. Absolutely, no doubt about it. That takes us to the main event of NXT Takeover Phoenix: Tommaso Ciampa defending the NXT Heavyweight Championship against Alistair Black, finally getting his one-on-one rematch for the championship. Very, very good match. Um, 
I think the problem was I don't think anything was going to top Gargano and Ricochet, and I think everything after it sort of suffered a little bit for that. Um, but these guys worked their asses off. They told a great story in the ring, repeated attempts. By the way, when did this fucking fairy tale ending become his finisher? What happened to Project Champa? I must have missed something. I, uh, I was going to ask you that. Did I miss something? I, they, they were portraying it like this has been his finisher forever, and I'm pretty sure it was the first time we've seen him use this as a finisher in NXT. Um, we, we've seen the DDT. We've seen Project Champa. I don't think we've ever seen this before. I like it. I think it's a good heel finish. Um, I just it looks like a fucking pedigree. Well, it, it's it's sort of like the what. Uh, awesome Kong used an impact, which you call yes, it the, the, the implant buster. Implant yeah. buster, yeah, it's the same finish. Um, I think it works for him. I like it. I think you can hit it from a lot of different ways. Um, Project Champa is more of a face finish. True. Um, so, I, so I don't have a problem with him switching it. I just thought it was weird how they sort of portrayed it like this has been his finisher forever. Um, he did hit it several times to no avail. They worked the knee throughout the match of Alistair Black. At one point, Black went to do the signature, pick him up with his foot, and then his leg just gave out on him. He couldn't yep. do it. That led to one of the fairy tale ending finishes and the false finish there. Uh, the ultimate end of the match came when Alistair Black went for the Black Mass. His knee gave out. He could not hit the Black Mass, even though he had Ciampa totally set up for it. And then... Champa, ever the opportunist, hits the fairy tale ending for I think the fourth time in that match, um, and finally gets the one, two, three. Of course, Maro delivering that great line I, I mentioned earlier, um, and Tommaso. But, you know, let's just talk about the match. We'll talk about what happened at the end of the match after. But uh, what were your thoughts on Aleister Black and Tommaso Champa? This match was weird for me, and I don't know if it's because I was with the crowd. But I kind of expected this match to be the match of the night. And then, like you said, after Gargano and, and, and Ricochet, it, it was a good match. I think both guys worked really hard. Oh, the crowd just seemed tired for it. Um, and I don't think that's a knock against either guy. I think you can only do so much in a takeover car before the crowd just starts to get tired. But I thought both guys worked really hard. I... This match actually had me questioning the, I don't want to say ability, but the um, the ceiling of Aleister Black's character at this point. Um, you know, I thought we kind of saw a lot of the same old uh, hits from, from an Aleister Black match. So it's an interesting point, which sort of plays into what I said earlier. I think we've sort of reached the ceiling of what we're going to get from Aleister Black in NXT. And I think that's why I think it's time to call him up. Um, I think, and I maybe I, I may have heard this or seen this somewhere else, but for some reason it's in my head, so I'm going to assume I've seen it somewhere. Um, the notion of the devil versus the demon, Finn Balor versus Aleister Black at WrestleMania, um, is something that just would really entice me. I think that would be a fantastic match um, with all the stuff you could build around that. Um, Alistair Black, I mean, obviously The Undertaker's not wrestling, and if he is, he's certainly not putting over Alistair Black, so I wouldn't put him in there. So I've heard some people mention that. That ain't happening, and that should never happen. Um, but there are all sorts of guys on that main roster that Alistair Black could go out and just absolutely tear it up with. Alistair Black and Daniel Bryan, Alistair Black. I, I mean, the list goes on and on. Andrade San Almas, they didn't really get a chance to have their sort of follow-up to their real program. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so much stuff you could do on the main roster, and I think... He's sort of running out of top guys he can work. We've seen the Velveteen Dream program. We've seen the Johnny Gargano mm -hmm. program. We've seen mm -hmm. the Tommaso Ciampa program. We've seen the uh, Adam Cole program. I mean, there's not a lot of top guys left in NXT for him to work with, so I think maybe it's time to uh, see what he can do on the main roster. Yeah, and as much as I don't trust Vince, I think that uh, – and I'm not going to bury the lead. I know you guys are going to talk about it tomorrow night, but I, I think that his reaction that he got when he came out the Royal Rumble – proves that Aleister Black is ready and you can stick him on either show. Personally, if you're moving Seth to the main event, mm -hmm. to the, the tippy top of the card, I think Aleister Black fits in nicely in that mid-card face mm -hmm. where, you, where you need somebody in there. Mm -hmm. um, my only, as much as I love the idea of Balor and Black, I think judging by what we saw on Monday, we're going Bobby Lashley and Finn Balor, which... Well, there's two pay-per-views between bad. now and WrestleMania. So, 
Lashley and Finn could be any number of the next two events prior to WrestleMania. That does not mean it's the WrestleMania program. A lot of people get wrapped up that like stuff that happens immediately after the Royal Rumble is a WrestleMania program, and that's not yeah. actually the case. No, you're right. You're right. They, there are two pay-per-views. They have to uh, make those pay-per-views interesting, so they could start storylines the night after uh, Elimination Chamber or after Fastlane. So that is the uh, other pay-per-view, right, Fastlane? Yes. Yep. Okay. It's, it, I don't think it's great balls in your mouth or anything. Um, <laughs> so, overall, second best match on the card, Chomp and Black? Is that where we would agree to fall on this one? I can't. Okay. I mean, maybe it's a Homer thing. Maybe it's because of Hanson. But to me, the tag match outshines okay. it. Fair point. I may actually even agree with you on that one. I'll but say third. Easily third. You, you can't go wrong with any of these matches. They were really all great. And if you put them side by side, it's hard to pick one. It's. I think the problem was, like I said, I don't think anything was going to really follow Gargano and Ricochet and what they did out there. Um so we talk all the time about match of the night, worst match of the night, and I don't think that really is even applicable in NXT because I think all the matches are typically really good at takeovers. Um, so I think, I think I'm going to start. I'm going to ask you an interesting question. Okay. Coming out of this takeover, actually, you know, before I even go there, let me, let, let's talk about we did, we did skip the elephant in the room. Uh, after Tommaso scores the win, he goes up to the, to the top of the uh, ramp. He celebrates. He holds up his title only to be seen by Johnny Gargano walking out behind him. Gargano stands next to him, raises the North American title as as Ciampa raises the heavyweight championship. And I think we can officially confirm we have dark DIY together. Yeah, well, uh, okay. Unless Candace so, has her way again. The minute I saw that, um, the full disclosure, the minute I saw that, I was like, that son of a bitch Jason is right again. Because all I could think of is that Gargano's playing him. Yeah, I, I This is going to be the ultimate fucking finish, is that Gargano, at the end of the day, is going to be playing him like a fiddle. Because mm-hmm. notice how Gargano came out there first. He didn't, you know, Champa didn't invite them out there or anything. Champa didn't even expect him to be out there. And Champa was a little like, what the fuck are you yeah, doing? Yeah, what like? is he doing here? Okay, sure, we'll celebrate together. And like you said, it just plays into that narrative of at the end of the day, Gargano's going to be made to look like a fucking boss. Right. Yep. Which is great. I'm all for it. I mean, I think this whole program has been so great to watch. Yeah. This is, if you want, they should make every writer that works on the main roster sit and watch every step of this program and say, that's how you do it. That's mm-hmm. how you build a program that people are emotionally invested in. It doesn't matter if they watch it week to week and know what's going on. If they're not emotionally invested in the characters, they will not give a shit. People are emotionally invested in Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, and that is why it's such a great story that they're telling. And we're not talking about anything extreme. We're not saying that Ciampa is throwing the WWE title in the trash and bringing out a plant-based title. We're not saying that Gargano is coming out of a casket. No, this is very simple shit. They were really good friends. They were best friends. They were partners. They broke up, and Champa turned on him. And since then, we've had the best storytelling we've had in, in, in God knows how long over the course of one year. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right, so... Now that we've gotten over, covered pretty much the whole event, allow me to ask you the question I was going to ask you. Because in every takeover, you can sort of point to that one person and say, this is the person who came out of takeover in a much better spot than where they went in to take over in terms of perception and to like, however you want to quantify that. But there's always somebody that seems their star shines a little brighter after something they do at takeover. If you had to pick one person, one team, whatever you want to say, who would you pick coming out of this takeover cell? It's, it's such a difficult decision because first, let me say that going into this takeover, I was actually worried for the first time because it, the card didn't look, as blockbuster as I thought it could have. I mean, we had no no Velveteen Dream. We had no Adam Cole. Um, even the Undisputed Era in general was kind of represented very, you know. I was a little surprised yeah. Cole didn't come out with them to start. Cole didn't come out with them, and, and Bobby Fish went back as soon as they appeared on the stage. Yeah. Uh, for me, I have to say that the War Raiders came out looking like a, a an absolute force. Okay. 
That's a, that's a fair choice. Uh, again, for me, the War Raiders are multiple-time IWGP champions. They've been Ring of Honor Tag Champions. Their their pedigree is pretty well established. For me, the person that came out of TakeOver with the biggest uptick was Bianca Belair, and that's because I think she went in with the lowest expectation. Absolutely. I don't think anybody expected her to come out, but I, to me, like I said, those moments where she was breaking the Kirafuda clutch and the crowd just rallied behind her, to me, that was the first time I looked at her and said, oh, wow, this guy, this girl could be a star. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that she, she came out of this one as the most elevated on the NXT roster after this takeover. Fair point, fair point. So that takes us away from takeover. And again, tune in tomorrow night for the Rundown Wrestling Podcast where hopefully Troy will be back in action and you'll be able to hear his thoughts on TakeOver. If not, you'll definitely hear Jeff's. Uh, but we are going to transition out to this week's at live, well, not live, but you know what I mean, uh, pre-taped edition of NXT, our weekly show, the January 30th edition. This, of course, was all taped at TakeOver Phoenix. Uh, we open, of course, as always, with TakeOver highlights. Uh, we are going to have the horsewomen, uh, of Marina Shafir, I guess that's what they're calling them, Marina Shafir and Jessamyn Duke in tag team action against Io Shirai and the pirate hooker Kyrie Sane. For the first time, I've seen them referred to anywhere as the Sky Pirates, which is an interesting, I, I don't hate the crowd name. Um, the thing that struck me first off is the crowd fucking loves Kyrie. I mean, the pop she got when she came out, I must be missing something. For me, I prefer Io of the two of them. Um, Kyrie Sane just has never connected. I just don't get Kyrie Sane. Maybe it's just me. Um, she's certainly a very talented performer. I just don't. I don't get what the character is. I don't connect to it. Um, I enjoy watching her perform, but I, I just it, it's very strange and sort of hokey to me. I guess I don't know. Uh, Io is a much more well-rounded performer. I think. I think she can do some because she's a bigger, a little bit bigger of stature. I think she can do more physical stuff and have it not like a Kyrie doing a spear. Eh. Mm-hmm. I mean, EO does a spear. I don't bat an eyelash, but Kyrie doing a spear for some reason, because she's smaller, it just doesn't stand out. Um, especially now that they have a team name and they've been teaming together quite a bit lately. It's just like two weeks in a row on TV and they're always paired up in the back, etc., etc. Do you think there's a shot? that we're going to see these Sky Pirates in the Elimination Chamber for the Women's Tag Team Championships? No, 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 not not the Chamber. I think they're going to keep that main roster. Maybe, maybe not. I, I actually wouldn't prefer them in the Chamber because you know they're not going to win the belts. But I don't know that. If they're if, they, if, it's, <laughs> if it's a call-up for them. Yeah, okay. And I don't but, know that there's a whole lot. I mean, Kyrie's already won the title and lost it and lost all of her rematch. So I don't know there's a ton for Kyrie left to do in NXT, and they do not have a women's tag team division down in NXT. So I'm curious if maybe that's that's what they're, why they're teaming these girls together so much. Uh, no, it's a fair point. Okay, so a couple of things, and, and I wanted to jump through my friggin' radio last week when you guys were talking about this. You had mentioned on the main show that there is little to no reason for EO and Kyrie to be teaming up. To which I would counter, sir, they have been portrayed as best friends since the May Young Classic. Okay, but there is no tag team division. And that I mean, is that is a fair point. And they're both um, singles wrestlers. So why are they all of a sudden teaming up regularly as as a team with a team name? Well, as as you remember, uh, there was a program that was going to be had with Dakota Kai uh, involved in this team against the the three horsewomen. Uh, obviously, Dakota Kai got hurt, and that kind of got scrapped. But I think they still wanted to kind of play out the angle. Uh, it, it is kind of disjointed for me as, in the sense that EO is amazing as far as her in-ring, her, 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 her appeal, her size. Um, pirate gimmick aside, I feel like Kyrie has made her bones and, and, uh, you know, um, made herself appealing to the crowd because of some of her matches with Shayna, where she, uh, this tiny little five foot nothing girl is fighting tooth and nail with this bulldog like Shayna Baszler right. and beating her on one occasion, might I right. add. And winning the Mae Young Classic, I think that helped too. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely a factor, a thing that she appeals to people because she is cute and tiny and that sort of sets her up as an underdog and people root for her. I, I, I get that. Um, anyway, going back to the match, um, 
Marina had her Batgirl mask on here as well. See, I thought maybe she had like broke her nose in the match that they taped before TakeOver, and that's why she had it at TakeOver. But no, apparently she wore it to the ring on the uh, weekly show prior to TakeOver. So I don't know if she broke her broke her uh, nose or her orbital bone or something on a house show that we hadn't heard about. I have no idea. but I mean, it's probably a broken nose. It's one of those it's things. it's just a fashion statement, and we're reading too much <laughs> into it. I don't know. Um, so watching this match, one thing stood out to me quite a bit. Jessamine and Marina are really, really fucking green. Um <laughs> I would, so if I'm going to give them if I'm going to give them critiques here, I would say their bumping and selling was not bad at all. No, no, they, no, no, exactly. I think they did a good job there. When they got to points where they were supposed to be on offense, it looked like they were a step slow. It looked like they were waiting for something to happen. They were pre they were sort of telegraphing what was going to happen, and that's sort of something that just you just sort of work through and develops through time. Um, but I did definitely see potential in this showing, and I think EO uh, and Kyrie did a great job of getting them through this match uh, credibly. Jessamine looks totally uncomfortable out there. She just doesn't like. She doesn't look like she knows what to do with her hands. She doesn't look like she's comfortable walking out there. Uh, she's very tall and lanky, but not super like thick and jacked. So she just looks sort of like a really tall supermodel, like not not as pretty supermodel uh who's out there in her underwear trying to wrestle like she's a giant monster and we talked sort of like with um god i forget his name down in uh, nxt uk uh eddie dennis uh who's just sort of big and tall and gangly but because of that they put him out there as a monster when the his body type doesn't fit that portrayal and i sort of feel like that's what we're doing with uh jessamine duke as well um as I can just continue through my notes for this match, uh, Moro yelling sliding D will never not be funny. I, oh, I love it. <laughs> I laugh every time he does it. Uh, <laughs> at the end, EO d- dives out of the ring to take out Duke as the pirate hooker hits a big elbow on Shafir for the win. Uh, and then they celebrate with uh, Kyrie Sane doing her strange little dance. Um, which she's now got EO doing some version of a dance too. It's a little it, very strange. Uh, Sal, your thoughts on this, this tag match? All right. Before I get to the actual tag match, I, I do have to go back. Um, on TakeOver, there was a point where they showed in the crowd the NXT UK champion Pete Dunne and his NXT UK women's counterpart, Tony Storm. This proves that they took the belt off of Rhea Ripley for a reason, because they can't have Rhea Ripley and Pete Dunne in the same place at the same time. <laughs> That being said... Well, they were both in their respective Royal Rumbles. <laughs> that being said, let's fast forward to this tag match where you Why have... Why can't you have a brother and sister together at the same time? Because <laughs> then people will be like, wow, they look like each other That's really badly. Yeah. Um, Everybody except Troy. Yeah, and, and, and let's circle back to this match where you had Jessamine Duke, a.k.a. the female version of Matt Riddle. Except for Matt Riddle's talented. Really talented. Oh, dude. I'm sorry, but it's true. Not fair. Not fair. Second of all. This girl shouldn't be in the ring on on a pay-per-view or a TV match at this point. Let's be honest. I mean, she's... I get get that she's an MMA fighter. Apparently, she might have had mild success in the MMA. I doubt she had much. Not much, no. Neither her nor Marina nor Shayna, for that matter, were, were really successful as mixed martial artists. And, and I know that, but Marina looks at least competent in the ring. Well, Marina's also married to Roddy. She's been around wrestling and probably at training sessions with him, probably helping him spar and prepare for things. So that doesn't surprise me. She has a little more history in the business just by virtue of who her husband is. Fair. But Jessamine Duke, oh, wow, dude. I mean, I knew she was green. I did not realize the level that she was at at this point. And it's not... Look, everybody wants to give Ronda a lot of credit for coming into the sport and doing what she's done in one year's time. Not everybody's like that. So I get that Jessamine should have another three, four years before we judge her. But, yeah, she just looked out of place in this match, man. And and, and it wasn't a bad match. I think Kyrie and and Io shined. Yep. Um, To me, every time I see Io Shirai out there, I think she's better and better than than the last time I saw her. Yep. But, um, yeah, Jessamine Duke looked very green. Marina Shafir looked like Batman with that fucking mask. Yeah. And it just, it almost was like a, a, 
not a squash because it was a competitive match, but it felt like that. Like this match was just to put over Io and Kyrie. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, that takes us to our first NXT recap uh, match, match recap of the night as we went through Gargano and Ricochet. Of course, at the end of it, we have a Gargano interview after TakeOver. Uh, basically, the, the big takeaway from this one was he sort of had this weird moment where he said, now I know what it feels like to win, and I love winning. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, I hope so. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> well, I mean, you figure he hasn't done a ton of winning. He lost the last two of his series with Ciampa. He lost to Aleister Black. He's you know lost to Almas. He's been in a lot of these big spots, but he hasn't been successful in them. So this was the first time, really, that he's he's tasted success and certainly his first NXT championships in, in a singles uh, fashion. So um, just sort of playing into the, the sort of mental snapping of Gargano, uh, which I thought was good. Of course, nothing to really write home about. Uh, next thing, we go to break. We come back with takeover highlights of Bianca Belair and Shayna Baszler. We get a post-match interview with Bianca Belair where she claims to still be undefeated. Fuck off. Fuck you. <laughs> you lost. Stop using this dumb fucking catchphrase. Stop so, it. With that, that, that was me channeling Adam. I, I imagine that was something like Adam's reaction to it. Well, with that with that narrative that she was trying to spin, I mean, is she back to being a heel? Was she a face for one match? That's kind of what I took from it. No, well, she said being undefeated is a mindset. I think she's trying to be a positive, positive inspiration thing. Uh, she then par- started a program with Sam Roberts when asked about his comments of her being undeserving of the match. She basically told him to kiss her ass. Uh, so look forward to Bianca Belair versus Sam Roberts at the next takeover we then well, go uh, we're getting to the point of intergender wrestling in the wwe uh, so more on that tomorrow night's rundown uh we then go to a takeover recap of the war raiders versus the undisputed era afterwards we get a war raiders promo basic very generic uh victory promo they're basically just happy that they won uh both Rowan and hansen came across very well uh, another break, come back to a takeover recap of Matt Riddle versus Cassius Ono. We got the Riddle post-match interview mm. where it basically says he, he broke Cassius Ono. And I think I mentioned that earlier, like just perfect way to put, to categorize what happened in that match. Uh, we then come back for our last set of highlights as we go over Aleister Black and Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, then we go to some original footage rather than an interview. We get footage of the post-match brawl that took place between Aleister Black the Velveteen Dream and Ricochet as they sort of got into a shouting match, which then escalated to some physicality with Adam Cole and Dark DIY. Uh, they fought all the way to the back. Triple H had to separate them, and that led us to the halftime heat announcement. Uh, they did say it was live. I don't know where they're going to tape it. If they're going to tape it in the PC with, like, no crowd. I don't know how they're going to do halftime heat. I am curious to see it. I'm excited to have it back. Sal, your thoughts on the brawl and the return of halftime heat? I, I was going to ask you that. Are they full of shit when they say live? Are they just going to tape it on a Thursday and act like it's live? I have no idea. I'm curious to see what they do. <laughs> I, I mean, we'll see. I guess we'll see from the reports tonight if they tape it at the tapings. I mean, if even if they do, I don't care, dude. I, I am so hyped for this match. It's so amazing that they can do that. They can have a 30-second you know, spot, and all of a sudden I, I want nothing but to see the six-man tag. But, but you know why you're so excited for this, Sal? Because it's something you don't see often in NXT. True. On the main roster, you see these thrown-together six-man tag team matches all the time. You don't do this down at NXT. You don't put the top guys in all in, all in one match together like this. It's not something they do regularly. So that's why you're interested to see it, because it's something we don't see very often. No, the idea of, of Dark DIY with fucking Adam Cole is amazing. And then on the other side, Velveteen Dream, Ricochet, and, and Alistair Black, take my money. Right. yeah. <laughs> But I think it's such a smart idea by the WWE. We we criticize them a lot for things decisions they make that are bad. To put this on opposite halftime and then to air a commercial with a ripping Maroon Five, <laughs> fucking brilliant. Yeah, very nice. We then got a recap video package of the NXT stars who participated in the Royal Rumble, and that brings us to our main event. 
Question mark. Uh, the Forgotten Sons versus the Street Profits. Uh, Street Profits come out and they flash to the crowd where two guys do the primetime players dance. Uh, wrong black eyes. Uh, Montez Ford comes out and there is a sea of red solo cups behind him. So apparently this gimmick is catching on with the NXT fan base. Uh, Forgotten Sons out to zero reaction. Uh, Cutler and Blake will be the two working the match. Profits uh, revealed some new gear, uh, reminiscent of the Harlem Heat gear back in the WCW days, which I was sort of I thought was sort of a cool uh, homage, if you will. Uh, Dawkins starts the match with a big spear. This whole thing breaks down really quickly into a brawl as all four guys are fighting in the ring. Uh, the ch- crowd once again starts chanting, "We forgot you!" at the Forgotten Sons, which is quickly becoming my favorite chant. Uh, one of the cool spots, the Forgotten Sons did a buckle bomb uh, where Blake had his knees up in the corner and Cutler threw it, did a buckle bomb into his knees. I sort of like that spot. Uh, Montez Ford did a ridiculous top rope tope suicida uh, where he got more height than I think he would have if he had jumped off the top rope. Uh, the Prophets hit an electric chair neckbreaker, which was something I haven't seen him do much of, which was pretty cool. Uh, at one point, Riker low bridges Ford as he hits the ropes. Dawkins and Riker have a stare down from across the ring. And f- just by having them showing that stare down, I realized I want to see that match now. I don't know why. I just fucking want to. Uh, Forgotten Sons hit the memory remains. Is that really the name of their finisher? I guess it is. Uh, and they score the win as we go off the air. And I had almost already forgotten the Forgotten Sons. Uh, Sal, your thoughts. <sighs> okay. So I personally don't necessarily agree with the color palette swap on the um street profits i think gold and black had kind of an attitude whether it's that that pittsburgh Steeler feel or not i i didn't necessarily like them in the red gear okay dude dude did did you hear the part where they were paying tribute to harlem heat Ah, uh, yeah, except for they come off as a really weak Harlem Heat. Um, it was a sec- tribute. It wasn't, they weren't trying to be Harlem Heat. I know, I know. But okay, so second of all. It was like all, Mustache Mountain wearing British Bulldogs gear. Fair. Second of all, uh, my my disdain for Angelo Dawkins has always been prevalent on this, this feed. The curse of greatness, Angelo Dawkins. Yeah. Uh, I think Montez Ford is a fucking superstar in the making. He's got all the talent in the world. Um, I don't know what you do with the Forgotten Sons at this point, because like you said, they come out to no reaction. The crowd chants, we forgot you because it's funny. Mm. I don't know. Are Blake and Cutler really that interesting without Jackson Riker? I don't think they're that interesting with Jackson Riker. (laughs) Well, that's that's beyond saying, but at least there's uh, that's the only thing that makes the act work for me is jackson Riker. Uh, maybe because i know him as gunner from tna but the match was fine like i said montez ford looked like a fucking superstar and for whatever reason the forgotten sons won which i thought was the wrong choice but whatever well if you're gonna try to establish them you gotta have them get some wins over sort of credible teams that you have so i guess that makes sense uh, only thing we had announced for this week, for next week's episode, was that Johnny Gargano will be there live. Well, not live again, live to tape. Uh, he will be there to address NXT. We don't know exactly what he's doing, but we'll see what we'll see uh, when we're back with you next week. Uh, Sal, overall thoughts of this edition of NXT? Um, I, I get that the NXT after takeover is going to be a lot of filler, a lot of highlights. Um, usually they do put on a couple of matches that maybe didn't make the takeover card, and the matches they picked tonight were not great. Um, I get what you're doing for halftime heat, but I would have loved to see uh, Bobby Fish in a match. Uh, perhaps Keith Lee, who I think has kind of been forgotten a little bit. Well, he lost um, to Cassius Ono. <laughs> well, that was after a fucking Nakamura shot. Um <laughs> Even people like Kona Reeves or, or some characters that you... All right, I'm hanging up on you right now. You just fucking suggested Kona Reeves be on No, but I mean, like, you. even people... Even Raul Mendoza. I think I would have preferred to see him on this card. Okay, I uh, this, this How about fucking Alistair, uh, um, Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream? We could well, yeah, no, no, but I get, that. I, I, I get that, but the, my only console for that is that they're going to be on Halftime Heat in, in five days, so... Yeah, but still... It's no a spot you could have used them in this or something. You absolutely could have had an undisputed ever uh, promo. That would have been fucking needed. Like, 
Well, they did the War Raiders promo. They did pretty much did a promo from one person in each match. So the War Raiders got the promo this time to get the the new champions over. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, all things considered, don't unless you're a big fan of any of the the people we mentioned, don't go out of your way to see this episode of NXT. If you if you watch Takeover, you pretty much saw everything you need to see. Uh, next week we are, as I mentioned, they're doing tapings as we speak. So next week I'm sure we'll have some of the biggest stuff to come out of those tapings, and we'll certainly have a better feel for where we're headed for the next takeover with some of these storylines. Um, Sal, I appreciate you taking the uh, reins and filling in for Troy this week. Uh, and hopefully we'll, we won't be a stranger on this feed. We'll see you back. When is the uh, next edition of Salvation dropping? Uh, me and me and Troy actually recorded the episode, and uh, Troy will be releasing it for this Friday, February 1st. It's WrestleMania 23. It's the Battle of the Billionaires. And in addition to that, we got John Cena versus Shawn Michaels and what, to me, was the match of the night, and Batista versus The Undertaker, title versus streak. All right. Sounds like a must-hear must episode of WrestleMania Salvation. It will be dropping this Friday right here on the Rundown Wrestling feed. Speaking of the Rundown Wrestling feed and the Rundown Wrestling Network, we have a bunch of shows. We're trying to drop new content almost every day of the week whenever possible. So, but, of course, tomorrow we have the flagship show, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, We'll see if Troy is back. I, if not, I will be there. I will be joined by Jeff, and we will be discussing Jeff's impressions of TakeOver, all of our impressions of the Royal Rumble, and the week that was in professional wrestling. It's our flagship for a reason. It's the biggest show we do all week, and you do not want to miss it. The Rundown Wrestling Podcast tomorrow night, and we will be back next week. Hopefully, Troy will join us for another edition of NXT Revisited. We'll see you next time.